Welcome back to What in the World in Travel. I'm Kenna Karanko, podcast producer and co-host with the Pacific Asia Travel Association student chapter at Capilano University. I'm Yasmin, one of your hosts and secretary of the PADA Capilano University student chapter. Today we are talking with Sally Peterson, a travel writer from Canada who currently lives in Barcelona, Spain. She has been travel writing for six years and has been to over 30 countries by traveling for work as a writer and an international house and pet sitter. Thank you for talking to us today, Sally. Well, thank you very much for having me today. I appreciate it. I'm very excited to hear what you've got to say. Going kind of just right into um, where you came from. I know you're from Alberta. I'm curious to know how you found yourself in the travel and tourism business and if it was a path you kind of always knew you were going to take or it was kind of random it actually ended up being pretty random I like many people love to travel I've always liked to travel and then I left Canada a while ago and I was living in Costa Rica with my daughter and she decided that she wanted to move back to Canada I became an empty nester and I thought what am I going to do I'm just 40 I'm an empty nester now I really should travel. And then I thought, how am I going to make money while I travel? And I, I mean, I don't remember exactly how it happened, but I'm pretty sure I got some random email in, in my email inbox about becoming a travel writer. And, and at first I thought, I can't write, like there's, there's no way. And so I read through it and I thought, I'll, I'll sign up for the course and, and see what happens. So I bought the program and I was going through it and I was still very doubtful about the whole thing. And part of it then also had a seminar. And so the seminar was in the United States. And just before, I think it was about a week or two weeks before the the seminar, I actually had my first article published. And then I started to think, wow, this might actually work a little bit. So it kind of fell into my lap that way. I never, I never thought I would be a writer. I never thought I'd be a travel writer, but I just knew that I love to travel and it's just worked out. Yeah. It's like interesting how that happens because I, I don't think a lot of people think social media and writing and, and that kind of world, like you can actually make a career out of it or they think it's a lot harder, which I mean, it's obviously a lot of work, but it's nice to hear like how it's working for somebody and how they kind of got into it. It is a lot of work. So not only have I taken that program, I've also signed up and I've taken many writing courses and programs and read different books regarding writing and things like that. And, and it's constantly changing, especially now so much with social media and social media is always changing and everybody wants to be a travel writer, which I understand. And some people are great, like some people make a really good living off of it and do a lot. And then more people than not kind of struggle or they do it as their hobby because they like it. So it also depends on the person and uh, what they want to do or where are they in life? Do they have a family and kids? So is it just kind of a part time thing that they enjoy doing? Is it something that they want to do full time as a job? But it is a job. And there's many times that I'll be sitting in front of my computer for 12 hours for five, six, seven days in a row. Um, So it's not just, oh, look, here I'm in this country and I'm going on this tour or I'm eating at this restaurant because yes, that's part of it, but there's also a lot of work behind it. 
I think today that almost everyone, it seems like they want to be an Instagram influencer or do things like, for example, I know of, I think of the bucket list family who are just a family that is able to travel and share their experiences with that. And I think everyone thinks, oh, I'd love to spend my life in Hawaii. I'd love to do that. But they don't think of all the work that comes with it and how difficult it can be to start that because everyone wants to be on vacation their entire life and seeing new things. So yeah. And that's that's true because there is a lot of work behind it. There's a ton of competition. Yeah. And what, you know, what makes one person stand out? What a lot of people don't realize though, too, is a lot of the people that are very successful being either the Instagram influencer, the YouTuber, the travel writer, it's not generally speaking, it's not a one person show. Mm -hmm. So especially with the Instagrammers, they have their photographers, they sometimes have somebody do their hair and makeup and they're following them around everywhere. And so they can be, oh, I'm a, a six figure Instagrammer. Okay, sure, you're making six figures, but how much money are you paying all of the other people who work for you as your team, who's posting for you for your social media all the time? Because I know for me, it's very challenging to be writing posting social media all the time. And and I use scheduling tools so I can sit down and just schedule out a ton of stuff. But then the social part of the aspect I struggle with because I still need to write, but I still need to respond to people, but I still need to be posting. And I have to be posting so many times a day or checking it every day. And it can easily become very overwhelming for one piece person to try to do all of it. Yeah. A lot of influencers, rather than being like one person, how they look on the internet, they're more of a brand almost. Mm-hmm. It's hard for people who think, oh, well, I'm going to do travel writing because I'm going to travel just every day and look cool while I do it. It's like, well, right. And it's it's, a lot more work involved. Yeah. And it's very different from being on vacation because when you're on vacation, you generally get up when you want, you do what you want, you go eat, you stop and do whatever you want. But a lot of times, you know, I have a schedule and I have appointments and I have to be at certain places. And if even if I'm writing a review on on a hotel, so not only what the name of it, what's the decor like? How many rooms are there? Um, what are the restaurants? Do they have specials? Do they change all the time? What's their seasonal menu like? How many tables and chairs are in there? Um, there's many things. The beds, like how many suites do they have? Or what kind of bedding is it? What's the material like? What are the pillows like? What's the bathroom like? Do they have um, individual shampoos and conditioners? Or do they have more environmentally friendly, larger ones? Or do they have nothing at all? Like the list of things goes on and on. So it's not just, oh, wow, look, I'm staying in a nice hotel. This is great. Yeah. And I think kind of building off of what you just said, how do you find the balance between documenting travel versus enjoying travel? It's, um, it's tough because even when I plan to just take a vacation and I say to myself, I'm not writing, I'm not working, I'm not doing anything. There's always a part of my brain that's, Ooh, that would be a good thing to write about. Or I could do, and I have to literally tell myself, no, I'm not doing it. I'm just here to try to enjoy, but there's always a little part of my brain that has ideas of of things to write about. And I, I do, I take a ton of pictures because then sometimes I think, oh, maybe later I will write about it. So I'll just take extra pictures. I do lots of recordings. So I listen to recordings. So then again, 
I've gone through it and I've been in that experience. And even when I'm working and I'm there for it, I'll do lots of recording and tons of pictures. So not only is it the time that I'm there, but then I go back and listen to everything over again, look at all the pictures again to make sure that the details and things that I need to write about are correct and specific. It kind of just sounds like everywhere you go, it's kind of like you find like you're just like so passionate about travel and you want to share that. Do you have any favorite places or just like experiences you've written about? I love Italy. I, it's just, yeah. it's been one of those places. And I, I mean, I, there's fat, every place I've been to has had fabulous things. There's there, I haven't been to a place that I think, oh, I hated it. Um, so I've been fortunate that way, but I just, I love Italian food. I love Italian wine, the history behind Italy, the architecture of the buildings, uh, Tuscany with the rolling hills of the vineyards and the olive groves. And it's just, I just absolutely love Italy. I went there two years ago and I still feel like I haven't seen enough of it. I need to go back and, and see more because it was such an amazing country. I'm interested to know, like, so you travel, right, for a blog site or website, and do they ever, like, assign you to write about certain countries, or is it a kind of, you, you, it's very self-directed, and you can go where you want with it? For me, what I do is very self-directed. It could, it's up to people what they want to do. I know many that work with tourism boards in certain countries and they arrange everything and they're really on a schedule of what they have to do, where they have to be and those types of things because uh, their trip is paid for, they have to write so much and, and do certain things and it, everything is planned out. So that's in a way that's kind of nice because you show up, you go to work and, and you do have to write, but you don't have any planning to do at all where I do everything myself. I plan where I want to go, um, what companies I'm going to work with, uh, what I'm going to do. So I spend a ton of time arranging my whole entire schedule. And then when I get there, working on the schedule. And then after all of the follow-up and forwarding them, all the articles that I write for the different publications, tagging them in any links, uh, things like that. And even now, sometimes I'll still share articles and stuff that I wrote before and I still try to go back and tag them and let them know so then again it's it also is good for me because then sometimes they may repost or or they have new people that are within their social media that then see my work as well so for for people it really depends on which way they want to go with it I prefer to have complete control and do what I want I'm sure if I was approached by certain companies or organizations that wanted to plan everything if it was something I was interested in and wanted to do then I would I'm really starting to shift my focus though into sustainability and ecotourism and slow travel and I think a lot of that is going to change naturally with the pandemic and people really starting to rethink their travel do they want to go to the big over tourism cities do they want to find places that are you know, still, let's say Italy, for example, still in Italy, but maybe not Florence or go to Florence for a day. But there's just so much more to offer outside of Florence. And Florence is a great city, but oh, my gosh, it's so busy and so packed and so crowded. And there's so many other beautiful places to see in Italy and not knowing where things are going to go with people working from home or working remotely. 
more than before the pandemic, I think there's going to be a bit of a more of an opportunity where maybe a family could go and spend a month in Italy or uh, a couple if they don't have kids and they could go for a month and they could travel a few, a few different places or go for two months and again, a month or two in, in a couple of different places. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that happen within the travel industry. And have you been writing during the pandemic currently? I've been doing a little bit. Um, I've been working on some other projects as well. I also tutor English online. So the, before the pandemic, I, I started to do a tiny bit of tutoring, but I did more during it. And it really kind of made me realize that I believe almost no matter what industry you're in, it's always good to have more than one stream of income. Uh, if you have passive income, that's great. If you have your main job, that's great. But for me, I think it's always good to have a little extra something on the side. And if you can just put it away as savings for a rainy day or to per- make a big purchase or you get sick or another pandemic happens, um, it's always good to have more than one. So I didn't do as much. I did take a break because I go through phases where I'll just work so much and write so much and do so much. And then I start to not like it. And then I'll take a bit of a step back, maybe work a little bit more on social media, repost some of the articles that I've already written and and do something like that to just kind of give myself a break. And then I'll get back into the writing and doing more. So for me, it's always trying to find a bit of a balance um, because I do things, I do things in extreme a lot. And so, like I said, balance is my struggle. Mm -hmm. I even find that too with, I immerse myself so deep into one thing. And then I almost get like tunnel vision where I just want to do that. And then I get so burnt out that I never want to do it again, or I wait two years to do something like that. And so for that writing that you did a little bit of, was that about Spain and in Spain? Yeah. Yeah. I've really been focusing. So I just um, uh, started another website just about Spain and, and living in Spain. So I've been working more on that and just promoting different areas and parts of Spain. So it's been kind of nice. Um, there's more of Spain that I would like to see. And I ultimately, because I traveled so much in 2019, in 2020, my plan was just to stay in Spain and travel throughout Spain for the year. And then, of course, as we all know, the pandemic hit. So I did stay in Spain, but I wasn't able to really travel. So things are starting to open up now. And hopefully then I'll be able to start visiting a few more places uh, pretty soon in the near future here. Spain is a country that relies a lot on tourism and even when I was lucky enough to visit family there in 2020 I noticed the massive difference and restaurants completely shut down not just temporarily and small businesses completely gone. As someone who lives in Spain could you tell us from your perspective how COVID-19 affected a big city like Barcelona and and what you went through and what you could see Spain going through from your perspective? It's been a huge change. I think in 2019, Barcelona had 30 million tourists and the population I think is only 1.5 million. It's over tourism. And so when you're walking down the street, you always had to make sure you were really paying attention to where you're walking because with so many tourists, They would walk, they would stop, you know, they're not sure where they're going. And now I can actually look at buildings and see them. 
and think, wow, that's what that building looks like. I'm not worried about running into somebody every three seconds or every step that I'm taking. So in one way, you know, that's been kind of nice. Um, and I'm sure for many people in many over touristy cities feel the same way. On, on one hand, there is that aspect. But there are many, many people who have lost their jobs. I don't even know how many restaurants have closed and I don't know when they're going to open or what is going to be new coming in. So it's it's really been damaging for, for a lot of small businesses. There's still some new places opening up, which is a little bit surprising in a way. But when I go into the center where there would be, you know, over a million people every day, I bet you I wouldn't even see 300. Like it, it just is completely different. I've had friends that have left the city because they've lost their jobs. And even though the government has been trying to help and, and, and giving some people some money, when this pandemic is over, things aren't just going to bounce back to normal. A lot of those restaurants aren't reopening. A lot of the tour guides aren't going to all of a sudden be doing tours again because there's not going to be the tens of millions of people here. A lot of flight attendants aren't going to have their jobs back. Pilots aren't going to have their jobs back. I mean, there's a, a trickle effect and a ripple effect to many of those that people are thinking, oh, there's light at the end of the tunnel. It's almost over. Yes, on one hand, it is. But things aren't just going to be back to normal. There's still going to be millions of people without jobs and there's no more pandemic. What are those people going to do? Exactly. Because I was going to ask, you know, visualizing a million people in a city is kind of crazy now. Like, it's so funny thinking about what Barcelona was like in 2019. Like, that is crazy and we'll probably not see for a while. But do you think Barcelona in 2021, 2022 will kind of bounce back that way? How do you think they'll be able to handle it? Barcelona will bounce back. Absolutely. Barcelona is one of those cities everybody wants to go to, and a lot of people love it. I think major cities will bounce back fairly quickly, like Barcelona, New York, London, Tokyo, places like that, that there's always going to be millions of tourists. Those ones will be the ones to bounce back the quickest. But there's other smaller cities uh, that'll that'll take longer to bounce back in, in every country. And it'll be it'll be interesting to see, I think, really how the tourism is going to go. I mean, here in Europe, travel is cheap. The air, there's so many cheap airlines. I mean, the cheapest flight I ever had, and it was ridiculous. I flew from Barcelona to a place called Bergamo. It's just outside of Milan. It's it's 20 minute bus ride outside of Milan, so it's, they call it the Milan Airport, and it cost me five euro which I think was probably about six US dollars. I think when I looked at my bank, it was seven Canadian dollars, give or take, for a flight from Spain to Italy. So when you have flights like that, people just go, I'll just go for a day. I'll just go for a weekend. I'll just go. I mean, it, it's so cheap. I even joked with a friend before. I said, if I plan about a month ahead of time, I could get up in the morning I could fly to Rome. I could just be, oh, I'm going to Rome for lunch today and literally fly there, go have lunch, spend the day and fly back the same day because sometimes it's that cheap of a deal. 
And we get a lot of that tourism that people just, they come for a weekend or they come for a couple of days during the week. And in one way, I mean, if you're in the tourist industry, it's good, but I don't think we're going to see as much of that anymore. I'm, I, and I really hope we see lower people. They actually come and they get out of the main cities and they see more of what different uh, countries have to offer, you know, check out the main city, do the touristy thing for one or two days, but then see what the country's truly like. Because I just find that when, you know, people come to Barcelona and they say, oh yeah, I've been to Spain. I spent three days in Barcelona. It was great. And for me, okay, you've been to Barcelona, but you haven't seen Spain. And yeah. it's, it's really the big difference. Yeah, it's a massive difference. And I think it's, it's so crazy how in Europe, like I have a lot of friends in in England or you know my family in Spain like it is cheap to fly they can just go to Paris for the day they can go to the Netherlands like all these different things like really quickly just for a weekend and and a place like North America like you can't do that like it's expensive to fly even to like Kelowna to Seattle Mm -hmm. it's it's a kind of a different type of traveling but I also fully agree with you there's a lot of people that do just go for a couple of days but don't see or experience the country and the culture itself. And maybe that's not what they want to do, but I know personally, I would like to go and spend a couple months rather than a couple mm-hmm. days. And, and I know sometimes that, you know, when people are working from, you know, they only have the weekend off. And, and so I get that. So I think that might be an interesting change going into post pandemic. If people are working remotely or working from home, well, where is specifically home? Or if they, you know, only have to be at the office one day a week, maybe they can, you know, they'll go somewhere for a full week and then come back to be in the office that one day. Or it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that changes moving forward. Going back to talking about your career, how do you think COVID-19 will affect the travel writing industry for future years? Well, in my industry, like, for us as writers, we, we always have things to write about. Like my, my list of things of the places I've been, I can always find things to write about. But where I think it's affected a lot of people is with blogs and websites and stuff, they've lost a lot of revenue because of the sponsorships and, and ad placement because you know hotels aren't advertising as much or different tour companies aren't gonna advertise on somebody's website as much. I've seen, uh, so one of like one of my affiliates that I have is bookings.com. So I would have links on my websites to hotels. And if somebody booked a hotel through my website, then I would get a, a small commission for it. I got a message from them a couple of days ago saying, because nobody's booked a hotel through my website in the past year, we've been in a pandemic, keep this in mind, that they're canceling the affiliate program for me. And then I would have to reapply, change every single link on my, my website. And the one website, I have over 150 articles. Not that I have a link on every single one, but I have to go through now, delete them all. And if I want to reapply to get back in, to then re-put in all brand new links again. And that's just one example. I mean, there's other affiliates that have just completely canceled all of their programs or have reduced, reduced it Airbnb is another one that they said we're canceling all of our um, affiliate programs. I think on just, because they do experiences and stuff too. So I, I, I think it was just on the accommodation part. 
but things like that make me really angry because part of it is a lot of these companies have made money because of the affiliates. And I mean, we don't get a huge affiliate commission from each booking, but now it's almost like they're thinking, well, we know people are going to travel. So they know about us. They'll just come directly to us. We don't need to share anything or give any of the writers any affiliate money. We can just make more money for ourselves. And that really kind of bothers me with a few companies that I know have done things like that since the pandemic has started. So, and that's part of the reason with my focus of sustainability and ecotourism that I'm now leaning on working with individual tiny hotels that are locally owned, locally operated, and I'm really starting to avoid any large chain hotel or business or anything because they make a lot of money. I've really seen how the effects of tourism with those big brands and they make a lot and that money doesn't really stay within those cities. They go to line the pockets of of big corporate companies. And so where I want to focus more on is actually having people, if they come to Barcelona to go to a restaurant that's locally owned, not, not a chain, not something like, why, I'm sorry, but why go to McDonald's when you're in Spain? I just don't get it. I mean, you're in Spain, you come for Spanish food. I understand Spanish people going because they live here, but the tourist part of it, I just don't get that. So I really want to focus on helping and promote truly local ownership of the countries that I visit and the places that I go to. Yeah, because a lot of those big corporate companies have just profited during the pandemic. Whereas Mm -hmm. these small businesses are the ones that need the exposure, need the help and need the money. Yeah, like canceling those affiliate programs, like I didn't know that. And that's crazy to me because a company like Airbnb, domestic tourism was crazy this past year. And Mm -hmm. everybody was choosing Airbnbs over hotels. Even the Airbnb experiences, they switched to virtual experiences. And so they were profiting this entire pandemic. Maybe not right at the very beginning, but they kind of reversed it pretty quickly. They did. They adapted very quickly and they did well. But at the same point, it's kind of, if it wasn't for the, a lot of the affiliates when, when starting out, you know, those to me, those affiliates and things always help a business grow. And then when you come to the point of a pandemic and then you say, well, we're cutting our affiliate program. So you're basically cutting off or, or greatly reducing the income from the people who helped you get to where you are and the ones who need it the most Mm -hmm. like that's I saw something that was like these big companies there's no way that they're gonna drop off after the pandemic those Mm -hmm. companies will survive because they already make millions a year there's got to be some saving somewhere but these small businesses and these family-owned businesses sometimes you know maybe don't understand fully saving for a rainy day or they can't afford as much marketing as big groups like Marriott or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's right. And, you know, some of them, they, they still have mortgages to pay. You know, the banks maybe have worked with them a little bit, but I mean, I, I don't know how it is in, in the corporate industry, but I had friends here in Spain who just opened a restaurant about six months before the pandemic happened. So they were just starting out. They were, they were doing okay and they were enjoying it. And then the pandemic happened. So they had to close, but the landlord still demanded rent. So they basically just opened up a restaurant that six months later they had to walk away from because he said, I can't, I can't pay rent. Like I'm closed. And then 
So we were permanently closed for almost three months. And then they slowly let things open up. But the hours that they were allowed to open with the 30% capacity, because so many places here in Spain are tiny, that they even said, by the time I order my food, we're there, we make it, like, I'll still be losing money. It'll cost me more to open than I'll make being open. And then the landlord wants full rent. They're like, they, they had to walk away. That's crazy to me. And that's why travel might, you know, change the way we do things to support people like that in the future and just to get a more, a better travel experience. And I think as bad, you know, as the pandemic has been, it's kind of opened people's eyes to different ways to, to support smaller businesses and smaller companies as well. Mm-hmm. Even now here, when I go out to eat, um, I avoid any uh, chain restaurant. And I know some of them are local and stuff, but I, I really try to find a place that um, if it is a chain, it'll be small and local. There's, there's a few restaurants we have here that are only in Spain. So occasionally I will, but I really try to find or go somewhere that, as far as I know, is one of a kind. It's just a small family that own it. It's not a very big business or restaurant. And, and I avoid all the other ones just because I really want to do as much as I can to support locally while I'm here. Kind of going back to your writing and that topic. So you've written a lot about Spain since... <sighs> Or not so much since the pandemic? Um, I mean, I've, I've written, I feel like I should have written more, but at the same time, I've written some city guides and they're very in-depth and yeah. I'm not a fast writer. I do take my time and I really try to pay attention with details and things like that. So it has been a bit more of my focus. Um, and I've gone back and updated some of my other articles on, on another site that I have. And and as I said, I've kind of taken a bit of time off from writing and a bit of a break from it as well. So so do you think like your future writing, you might write about like more local places in Spain and kind of share the local side of things rather than big cities? Yeah, there's still, of course, things to see in the big cities. Um, and And most times when people fly, they fly into whatever kind of main city. And so the way that I'm going to have the focus is, you know, if you fly into a main city, there's a number of things that you can do. Check it out. Be there for a day or two because there's still a lot of locally owned places and things within each city and, and some major tourist attractions. And then to try to get people to do a day trip and whether it's they organize it themselves or they go on a, a tour with a group. But that is, again, that's you know, a local tour guide who lives in the area and does tours, whether it's every day or a few times a week, and that's his business because he or she has been living there, and to to show people some different things. One thing that I just read, and I think it's a fabulous idea, is the Usafi Museum in Florence, uh, because there's been so much tourism in Florence, what they're doing is they're reaching out to other cities and towns throughout the region in in Tuscany, and they're finding different places to put some of the art. Because they said part of it's just kind of in a vault or in a safe that people aren't ever going to use, but if they can find a place where an artist was maybe born or grew up, and, and they can find uh, a palace or a museum or something. So what they're really trying to do is spread the artwork throughout Italy 
and then people can, they can come to Florence and say, okay, great, we've seen these pictures and we've seen this art, but we really want to see another person's stuff. It's like, great, you go to this town or go to this city. And it could be, they hop on a train and go and they spend maybe two days in that other place. Or if it's something close, they can go on a bike tour and take a bike to that other region or, or area. Um, and they're really working on that right now. And I think it's a fantastic idea. Yeah, that, that's a really good idea because it gets people kind of thinking, oh, this town has something we want to see. And then it's a place that they maybe never thought about going. And then they end up really liking it. And they only went because of that one thing, but they found a bunch of other places that they now love. Exactly. And, and I think it's great. Um, and that happened to me one time too. I was it was my very first house and pet sitting assignment that I had, and it was in Bath, England. And I remember I got it and I thought, okay, I'm going to England. And I said, I'm going to some place named Bath. Like I've never even heard of Bath, England. I thought it's probably going to be a small town, nothing going on. And when I got there, it is a beautiful little city. And it was great. And I had such a good time and met fantastic people and absolutely loved it. And I never would have been there if it wasn't for that house and pet sitting assignment that I had. So I think it's going to be the same type of thing with the art and things from, from the museum. If they say, oh, so-and-so, they have hard work and, and they grew up here or they lived in this city for several years. And now that city's hosting some of their artwork. People will go there and they'll find so many more places that they actually love and see and enjoy and maybe go back to. So it'll, it'll help really spread a tourism out and help more people than just these big over touristic cities. That's such a good thing to do, especially like for myself, when I travel, I really want to see everything. But when you have such a limited amount of time, you're like, okay, I just need to check off the big things. And you really want to see the smaller things, but you know, you have like the bucket list of, I'm only right. here for, I'm only here for two weeks. I need to do this, 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 and this. But then when you do come across something smaller, you're like, oh my gosh, wow, this place is amazing. And it's happened to me a couple of times. And, and those little places end up being like number one to share right. with people. It's great. You know, if we talk of the Eiffel Tower in Paris, everybody wants to go to Paris and see the Eiffel Tower. And it's great. And when you see it, you think, cool, that's the Eiffel Tower. But there's a lot more things in Paris that are a lot neater and nicer than the Eiffel Tower. And don't get me wrong, I've been there I've, and I, every time I go, I do see it, but I walk by and I think, wow, it's nice and cool, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to spend a lot of time there. I'd like to be like, okay, I've seen it, but I wanna find those, those smaller things. Like why do so many people love Paris? Like the locals, what do they do? Where do they go? What did they enjoy doing? Because, you know, after a while, even here in, in Barcelona, I'll walk by places and be like, yeah, it's, it's cool. And it's some of Gaudi's work and stuff. And it's, it is kind of neat to see, but I know that there's so many more other things that I don't want to say are nicer or more interesting, but they can be because they're just lesser known things. It's actually interesting how the pandemic might change things because talking about Paris, I kind of, what popped into my mind was the Mona Lisa and how insane it is to even see it up close. Mm -hmm. 
obviously the way they do things will definitely change. I, I, and I agree. I mean, there's the, obviously the museums need to make a certain amount of money for upkeep and maintenance and, and all of that, which is part of it. And I mean, there's a part that is cool to say, yeah, I've seen the Mona Lisa in person. Yeah, I stood in front of it and there was 20 people behind me as well in my selfie shot and I got part of her head or whatever, because you're right, there's so many people there. But the other part of it to me is everybody's seen the Mona Lisa, whether you've actually seen it in person or a copy of it or something like that. So by the time you stand in line, you fight the crowd, you try to get your selfie picture in front of it, and you spend a half a day doing it. I mean, you're in the museum, so you're going to be there all day. But is it really worth it, that time? People do things for the fact of saying they've done it. Not because they're an artist and they're really intrigued by the Mona Lisa and they really like it. I can almost guarantee a number of people who have had their picture taken in front of it only have done it so they can brag or say to their friends, ooh, I saw the Mona Lisa, I have a selfie with it, I took my picture in front of it. And the majority of people they tell probably don't give a crap. And so why not go do something that you love to do or find something that's new and different and actually have an exciting story to tell, to tell something that's different instead of just, yeah, it took me all day, but look, I got a selfie in front of the Mona Lisa. I mean, if you, if you love it, don't get me wrong. If you love art and that's your thing, of course. But I know a lot of people do things to impress people and tell stories. And the people that they're trying to impress don't even really care. It's funny you say that because I definitely, for a while, I was the type of person that was like, okay, I need to do this, I need to do this, I need to do this. Because that's what you do when you're in this city. And I need to show people that I've done it, of course. Um, but when I was in Paris for the first time I went with my friend and it was in the back of my mind like oh do I want to see the Mona Lisa and I remember we didn't like plan it out very well because we got to the museum like midday the line was horrendous it was wrapping around the museum and I was like I'm not going to see the Mona Lisa now I'm not waiting in that line it was crazy to me how many people mm -hmm. were trying to get in and the majority of those people were probably just trying to see the Mona Lisa. Yeah, it's, it's true. And instead of wasting time for hours in a lineup, go do something else. Like I'm not a huge museum fan. Um, I, I, I don't mind going to them and I slowly kind of walk through, but I'm not one to stop and stare at every piece of art for a long period of time and, and things like that. And if there's a huge lineup or anything to get into a museum, I won't go. Like, I have not been to the Picasso Museum here in Barcelona yet. And it is free the first Sunday of every month. But I don't care. I am not waiting in line two hours to get into a museum. I'm just not that much of an art person. For people who do and they love it, great if you love it. But if you do it to just say, oh, yes, I went to the Picasso Museum. And if you're not into art, to me, that's just crazy. Why would you waste your time when you could do something really cool that you love to do? So hopefully, as moving forward, things change and people do things that they truly want to do and they don't do it just because the masses are doing it and, and they can enjoy traveling more and, and see more beautiful things that so many countries have to offer.
just backpedaling a little bit to mm-hmm. you're talking about your career. Um, what would you think is the one most common misconception about people who want to get into travel writing? Oh, it's easy. It's glamorous. You just travel and get special attention and you don't actually work. You know, you're you're fanned by a pool person, fed grapes, drink champagne all day, and it's wonderful. That is a common misconception. I mean, there are perks. And yes, lots of times there is special attention. But sometimes getting up early in the morning because you have to be somewhere at a certain place and going through on flights and security and traveling and packing and unpacking and depending upon how much you travel. And I mean, mine, as I said, I plan on mine myself and it is self-inflicted. And I had a crazy travel year in 2019. I was in and out of 17 countries 29 times. And people are like, wow, it's so great. You're here, you're there, you're here. And, and at first I'm like, yep, yep, it's good, it's good. And then after I think, no, you know, it's, it's not so good. I'm tired of packing and unpacking. I'm tired of eating dinner and lunch and breakfast by myself every day. I'm tired of doing certain things. So again, back to, I need to find balance and I'm, I'm aware of that. But then if I'm not busy going to places and taking notes and getting everything when the next thing I'm doing the next day is I'm just in front of my computer for 12 hours because I did seven things the day before and I need to write about all of them and I need to get things posted because if I'm working with companies, they wanna know that I'm posting very quickly. I don't post generally when I'm there because I've had some creepy situations of people tracking me down. Um, So now I always wait. So like if I'm staying and I'm working with a hotel, I won't post about the hotel until after I leave the hotel. Um, I've kind of had to learn that. It was not the hard way because nothing bad happened, but it was just a very creepy incident. Um, And so it is being aware and I'm traveling by myself. A lot Mm -hmm. of people can't go to a restaurant by themselves. A lot of people don't like to do anything by themselves. And if you're a travel writer, you need to be prepared to do a lot of traveling by yourself. Yeah. And I think burnout would be extremely common, especially after the year that you had in 2019. Even like I relate to that as a student where I have all this stuff that I have to do that's due next week. But here I am sitting on my couch watching new episodes of whatever it's so hard to stay motivated and I think being motivated and dedicated to your work is probably another huge piece of what you do it is and a lot of times I don't have many deadlines when I'm writing an article for a magazine or another publication you know a lot of times they'll say can you get it to us by the end of the month or can you get it to us within a couple weeks Um, sometimes it's even longer so in a way part of the brain goes great I have lots of time but then it's I still have to do these other articles and I still have to do these postings and I still have to do so you also need to be really good with time management because all of a sudden a week can go by and it's happened to me two weeks quite sometimes three weeks and I think oh my gosh I haven't posted anything on social media or I haven't even written anything in the last two weeks because I've been working on social media. Now I need to, to do that. And so it's really time management and giving yourself deadlines to make sure that things get done because 
as we all know from when the pandemic started, it's easy to be like, oh, I'll get to it, I'll get to it, I'll get to it, especially with people who weren't used to working at home and then they started working from home and then, oh, well, I could do the dishes first. I could throw in a load of laundry. Oh, I can watch, you know, 30 minutes of this show and all of a sudden the day's gone by and they haven't done any work. And it's easy to do that, especially with traveling, even though the job is I have to go here for dinner, I'm going to do this tour, and it's easy to be on it and taking notes. And as I said, I record lots of stuff. But then when I get back, sometimes I'm tired of being out doing that stuff, but I still either have to remember or write notes or save stuff, post things. And so it's constantly working. Yeah. And I think people probably assume is like, oh, you're complaining about traveling. Like, what do you mean? You were out, you're at restaurants, you're at hotels. And, and it's probably like, well, it still burns you out. Like that's even, I'm not a travel writer, but that's happened to me where I've been in really stressful situations. I'm completely burnt out. I'm tired and I'm moody and I've complained. And somebody has been like, well, why are you complaining? You're in Bali. And I'm like, I know I'm trying not to complain, but Mm -hmm. I'm burnt out. I'm very tired right now. It is tiring. Um, And a lot again is like being by myself. So sometimes when I travel, I can easily be my, by myself for three months. So sometimes people are like, oh, you're, you know, I see you here, you're there, you're doing this or that. It's like, yeah, but it's kind of boring. It's kind of lonely. Sometimes it sucks. Every now and then I have what I call a pity party. And it's where I allow myself to feel sorry for myself because I miss my friends. I haven't seen anybody. I haven't seen my family, you know, and yes, I get it. I'm in these great places. But after a while, it becomes no big deal. I remember my first time in London when I really knew that that was it. I had to take a big break from traveling and stop. I got to London. My first time there in London's, you know, one of those days people are like, oh, London, it's great. And I got there and I was walking around and I'm like, that's Big Ben. It's a freaking clock. Who cares? And then the other part of my brain went, okay, that's enough. I obviously need a break from traveling because I'm just thinking, yeah, it's another city. It's a big clock. So what? It all starts to become the same. Yeah. A big clock that's usually covered in scaffolding. (laughs) (laughs) You can't see it anyway, usually. Yeah, Um, that's true. So that, that is one of the things. So again, though, it comes back to, I think, balance as well, that that is definitely a key, but it's, It's not always as wonderful and glamorous as what people think it is. And I think that's about almost everything. There are parts of it that are wonderful, but there's always parts that aren't. So for anybody that's interested in this kind of career path, what advice would you offer someone considering going into travel writing? Well, I think first you need to decide um, what kind of niche that you want to be in. Is it going to be like solo female travel, which is a big, a big thing right now. Is it backpacking? Is it ecotourism? Is it family with, with young kids? And if it is family with young kids, are you going to be changing as your kids grow up? That kind of changes over the year. Is it retirement? I mean, it could be people that want to talk about that. So it's, it's finding the, the niche that they want to be in. And my first thing is don't quit your day job. It's always good to have a job. If you can do it on the side, do it part-time, Um, that's always a great thing until you can really consistently make money that you can live off of because a lot of people are travel writers and I'm going to say the vast majority of them have other jobs or other sources of income. 
and then work on your writing. You know, whether it's write every day about something, a place that you've been to, read a lot about writing, but always read different things. Because I'm always careful with that. People ask me, what bloggers do you follow or who do you follow? And I don't follow anyone specifically because we tend to take things away from articles and things that we read, whether it was a sentence or a word to describe something. But I find that I don't want to write like someone else. So I don't want to always read what the same person writes. So it's very important to have a broad spectrum of writing because we don't want to subconsciously copy somebody else. And so a lot is just practice, find out uh, what niche you want to write about and have a, a plan of exactly what you want to do, how you're going to market it and promote it. Because it's not, if I start a blog, everybody's going to read it because it's going to be wonderful because it's about backpacking through every country in the world. Well, there's probably a lot of blogs about backpacking through countries around the world. So it it is, what are you going to do to stand out? Yeah. And I think that's some great advice just for life. What can you do to make yourself stand out? It's a great advice just for life in general is just be your own person, especially in the world of social media. I think we're Mm -hmm. all trying to please everyone else. Yeah. And I think, I mean, no matter what somebody does, you, you have to do what you enjoy. I mean, of course, we all have bad days and we all have parts of our job that we don't like. But also remember, it's a job. And travel writing is different than being on vacation, right? Mm -hmm. When you're on vacation, you know, if you drink too much one night, who cares? You can sleep it off the next day on the beach. It doesn't matter. But if you have to be somewhere and be on top of it. I enjoy painting and doing some other things, but I don't want to be a painter. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's a different of somebody saying, oh, I like to do this. I'm going to do it as a job because then sometimes as it becomes the job, it's a job and then we don't like it or enjoy it anymore. Uh, Sally, thank you so much for joining us. I think we got some really valuable information and I think our listeners will really appreciate what you had to say. Well, thank you very much for having me and um, I, I hope it was helpful and I hope it provides some insight for your listeners. Of course. And what's the name of your blog? Um, my most recent one is lovingspainlife.com. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you, Sally. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you liked our episode, please subscribe and leave a rating. This helps other people find our show. Stay involved with our podcast. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at What in the World and Travel and on Facebook at What in the World and Travel. If you're interested in being a guest on a future episode, you can reach us by email at pata.capilanou at gmail.com. That's P-A-T-A dot C-A-P-I-L-A-N-O-U at gmail.com. We'll be back next month with a new episode.